The hook needs to have a promise of conflict, of answers to questions, of a satisfying story to come. This is probably the most important part of a hook is a promise that you're making. You're raising questions in the reader's minds, and you're going to go satisfy those questions. Welcome to the Writing Pursuits podcast, where authors like you discuss writing craft, author life, and book marketing strategies. I'm your host, Catherine McKee. I own Wordmarker Edits and write and produce the weekly newsletter Wordmarker Tips for Authors. In addition, I am a speculative fiction author. Writing Pursuits is for authors who drink too much coffee, endure judgmental looks from their furry writing companions, and struggle for words. If you are a writer seeking encouragement, information, and inspiration, this podcast is for you. Let's get to it. Hey, Writing Pursuits authors, welcome back to the podcast. To those of you who are new, I want to extend a special welcome. My name is Catrice McKee, and I'm glad you're here. Please leave a comment, a star rating, and follow the show to help others find writing pursuits. Before I present the interview with Becky Appleby Sparrow, I need to introduce you to the First Chapter Rubric. It is available at firstchapterrubric.com, and it is the resource we are referring to throughout the interview. You can download your copy and follow along as long as you're not driving your car. The first chapter rubric is about different points or different topics within your first chapter. The first thing is the hook and the hook is subdivided into five little subsections because it's so important to touch on these things in the first few paragraphs. So the hook needs to have a promise of conflict, of answers to questions, of a satisfying story to come. This is probably the most important part of a hook is a promise that you're making. You're raising questions in the reader's minds, and you're going to go satisfy those questions. So the next section in the hook is point of view, setting, tone and mood, and genre. Okay. Those are followed by full chapter sections. The first section is the point of view, who is telling the story. You will notice that under every section in this rubric, there is a little table where we assess whether this particular aspect of your first chapter is underdeveloped, fair, good, or excellent. Excellent is ridiculously difficult to attain. If you're in the good category in all of the sections, then you have an exceptionally strong first chapter. So that's where we're aiming for. That's that's the goal. The next section after point of view for the full first chapter is setting, where we compute and communicate time and place, era, backdrop, so forth. Normal world, which is not the same as the setting. It is the before snapshot. This is where you connect the reader to the character, set up the character arc, the plot context. This is the main character's ordinary world. The next section is genre, whether you're meeting, honoring the conventions and expectations of your intended genre. So below the assessment table is another little table where you state what your intended genre is and then your known tropes and expectations for the genre. Just go ahead and list all those and then see if you're satisfying any of those. This is a good little a, a good little exercise to do just to make sure that you're you're setting yourself up for success. Okay, the next thing is stakes. Death is on the line. There are five different kinds of stakes, emotional death, 
spiritual death, social death, political death, or physical death. And of course, you're not going to have major stakes in the first chapter, usually, but you need to hint at something that might be on the line. So the character might start out having the fear of an emotional death or whatever. The next thing is conflict in the first chapter. Always have to have conflict every scene, every chapter. Otherwise, why is it in your book? In the first chapter, it's a shadow of things to come. So down below, the assessment is uh, types of global conflict in the novel. We're just going to kind of see what we're aiming at and then see if we can support any one of those by hinting at it in the first chapter with the conflict that's there. The next part is a choice in the first chapter. Every conflict demands a choice. We're going to put the plot in motion by having your main character make a choice about something. It doesn't have to be life shattering. It just has to be a choice. And there needs to be consequences. This is the only part that is optional in the first chapter. He could make a choice or he or she could make a choice at the very end of the chapter. And of course, you don't want to ruin the end of the chapter by weighing it down with consequences, but make sure they pay, make them pay. All right. And then the final section of the first chapter rubric is the cliffhanger ending. Every first chapter deserves a good cliffhanger. Make the reader turn the page. That is the goal. So that is the first chapter rubric. Again, you can get that at firstchapterrubric.com. And uh, I hope you'll download your own copy and follow along with the rest of the interview. Today, I have a special guest, a new author who is in the process of revising a book with the working title, Love Unlikely. We will get to that in a moment. Becky Appleby Sparrow. Hello. Hello. Writes young adult and middle grade fiction. She is a freelance photographer. Wow. A corporate expat relocation consultant and mother to four children. If there is any time left in her day, Becky likes to read and run, but never at the same time. Becky, before we really get started, how did you get started writing? I actually got started writing middle grade back when I had middle grade readers with my kids. Um, And I started on a website where I was a contributing uh, writer where we would interview kids and um, get their take on books. So kind of a different book review sort of format that we did. How did you come up with the idea of Love and Likely? I have been really interested in Greek mythology recently. Um, I have another manuscript that I'm working on about Hades and the abduction of Persephone. And then the um, Cupid psyche retelling kind of evolved from that interest. From that interest. Well, you're in good company. That's like uh, Rick Riordan does. So really good company. You know, he he made it his own kind of, and I think that's a, a really great thing to do. Today, we are going to give my new first chapter rubric, a trial run. Let's see if it's helpful. I got the idea for the rubric from Jay Thorne's story rubric. I strongly feel the first chapter is a special hardship for authors. And my goal is to make it easier to assess the strengths and weaknesses of that important part of the book to make it as strong as it needs to be. So Becky has bravely volunteered to be my assistant in this experiment. What we're going to do is introduce the book, Read through the first page. I'm going to ask Becky to do that. 
up to the point where she talks about Wyatt Saris. And then step through the first chapter rubrics book section, which is really five subsections, and then read through the second page to give uh, the audience a peek of what happens next. We'll step through the rest of the first chapter rubric sections as we have time. And then we will begin wrapping up around the 40 minute mark. But no worries, Becky is going to receive all of my notes and get a chance to ask any questions she has. So Becky, please feel free to just stop me and ask questions when you when they come to you, okay? Because this is about you. This is for you. Um, and it's not just for the program. So are you ready? Yes. Okay. So I'm just reading the first page right now, right? Okay. Uh, let me introduce it real quick. Okay. So okay. I'm going to give the back cover description sort of the way it stands right now. So it goes like this. 17-year-old high school student, uh, Vivian Remus, uh, dreams of finding true love. But first, she needs to get a date for prom. Unfortunately, her insufferable winged co-worker at Cupid's Flower Shop, Archie of the Erotes, is out to sabotage her chances at romance. As the only human in East Athens to know, oh, I didn't catch it, East Athens, <laughs> to know she's a descendant of Eros, the Greek god of love, she's his biggest target of annoying matchmaking. Vivian wants to get a prom date on her own without the aid of Archie's meddling magic arrows. He claims he wants to help but actually uses his enchanted bow and arrows to turn away all her potential dates. When a boy finally asks Vivian to the dance without magic, she tries to keep it hidden to protect her chance at a perfect prom at prom night. However, Archie finds out and threatens to use his arrows to make her single. To ensure she won't be forced to go to prom alone, Vivian strikes a bargain with Archie. She agrees to a date with whoever he chooses with his infatuation, inducing golden arrow, which goes against everything she believes about how real love works. But when Vivian finds herself falling for Archie, she discovers she's not the only one who kept secrets and some have deadly consequences. That's a really great, especially that last paragraph is very intriguing. So let's, uh, let's do your um, first page. Okay. Cupid's Flower Shop, Monday after school. Your problem is you don't let people help you. Archie hopped on top of the table at the back of Cupid's flower shop, next to where I arranged pink roses into a vase. His large white wings spilled off his bare back and intruded into my workspace as he waited for his next flower delivery order. He looked exactly like a teenage god. My fingers felt clumsy as I tied the pink ribbon around the vase that matched the roses. The first attempt looked sloppy. I tugged at the ends and retied it. I didn't want Archie to know how nervous he made me especially with him being this close without wearing a shirt. The way he watched over me, waiting for his delivery, there was no way not to be flustered. I groaned, wanting, to, wanting him to know I was annoyed. No, I said, my problem is I don't need your kind of help. Too late, I already gave it. Squeezing my eyes shut, I stopped tying the ribbon. Wyatt Saris, okay, is that his name? Stop. That's where we're going to stop. So um, on your hook, um, we have these descriptions. Uh, they fall into underdeveloped, fair, good, excellent. I'm putting it in the good category. The hook is original and interesting. Uh, immediately questions are raised in the reader's mind. Some form of conflict is clear and there is a promise of a satisfying story. So, uh, I mean, well done. The questions that immediately came to my mind, and these are the kind of the promises that you're making to your reader that you're going to answer these questions. And these are the ones that came to me. I'm sure there's others that other people would have from just what you read. And that is, is Archie secretly enamored with Vivian? And I'm hoping so. That's kind of the, the immediate hope is, oh, I hope, you know, 
is he a, a teenage god? Now, I had a big question about that. I thought they were immortal, but I'm game for whatever you got. Since he's teenage, I'm kind of hoping he's around the same age. Is he significantly older? No. No. Okay. <laughs> That's a real big thing right now. And so I just wanted to ask because um, it seems like it's important to, to nail that down. My um, The premise is like the reimagining of the story of... Um, Cupid and Psyche. And so they mm-hmm. are, they are at the same age about. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. So his, his real name is Archer, which I thought was great. And so he goes by Archie for what short, a nickname, um, modernization. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's very good. I thought in particular that POV is clearly communicated. We know that it's Vivian once we figure out their name and the reader relates at some level to her. I really think that she um, is a very strong voice. In fact, their dialogue, as we'll get into later, is you can tell who's talking. So I feel like that's excellent. You did great on that. In the third paragraph, my fingers felt clumsy as I tied a pink ribbon around the vase that matched the roses. The first attempt looked sloppy and I tugged at the ends and retied it. That's all really great. But right here where you start doing this, I didn't want Archie to know how nervous he made me especially him being this close without wearing a shirt. That is kind of going into shallow POV. And I I wondered if we could maybe do something just a little different than that. I just said, let's go deeper. If you can do it somehow without saying I didn't want. And I think I may have gotten an idea later on in my notes. So we'll get there in a minute. We'll come back to that. That may be your main point of improvement is taking your your POV just a little bit deeper. And I hope that I can make that clear before we're done here. Okay? Okay. Okay. All right. The next thing, and believe me, I'm picking because um, it's good. All right? So <laughs> don't be worried. I, I'm picking because I'm, I'm an editor and that's my job, but uh, it's, it's fine. I think time and place are clearly... Ex- established is perfect. No information dump is here. That's great. You made a really clever use of your subheading because it immediately says, okay, we're in a flower shop and your, your first word is Cupid. Love it. And then Monday after school, well, that wouldn't matter to, that wouldn't matter to a college student. It wouldn't matter to somebody who was older, but after school implies that we're um, maybe at an afternoon job, right? Mm-hmm, After right. school. Perfect. That covers a lot of territory without you having to set the stage, so to speak. That's a really good use of, of space. And it even hints at the approximate age of the protagonist. I wish there was some way to make that more clear, like I'm a junior or something, you know, or junior or senior. I'm assuming she's probably a senior since she's really in, interested in true love. On the setting, I was wondering if we could add one or two additional sensory details to the very beginning, just to that point where she asks this question, why it's Sarah's. All right. He hops up on the table. I'm wondering if we can make that maybe a heavy oak table. He's jumping up on it and, you know, it worries me that it's one of those flimsy little tables. And also it adds flavor to the shop. So maybe something like that, or you bring this up later about the way he smells. I'm thinking that that may be the solution for this right here. Okay. So if she says, I didn't want Archie to know how nervous you're making that clear. 
Her fingers are clumsy. The first attempt looks sloppy and she immediately pulls it out and does it again. That by her body language, the reader is going to know that she's nervous and flustered and they're going to be nervous and flustered too. But I was wondering if we could do something like he was shirtless and too close and his sandalwood scent blended with the shop's florals and a heady mix. The way he watched over me waiting for his delivery, there was no way not to be flustered. You know, put in a sensory detail there instead of I didn't want Archie to know. She's obviously trying not to let on. So I don't think you have to state that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what I mean by kind of a shallow point of view where you said I didn't want or I thought or I felt this way. Um, And it's fine for her her fingers to feel clumsy. She's trying to control herself, you know. But but when you start saying I felt nervous or whatever, you did great with your flustered. There was no way not to be flustered. I like that. You didn't come out and say, oh, she's flustered. It's just the way it is. The next thing is tone and mood. And I'm moving at a pretty fast clip here, but, but there's a lot to cover. I felt in particular that the emotions they feel at the beginning make them look forward to getting on with the story. This is talking about the reader. I'm feeling emotions as I read this. So that's a really great thing. The reader will be flustered. The idea of this teenage God sitting there (laughs) um, and he's too close and he smells good, you know, and all his attention is centered on her. So that's great tone and mood. Then in the hook, and I'm putting a lot of like burden on the hook. Mm -hmm. We want to establish the genre. And I think we're falling into the fair category here because there's a hint of what the genre the book falls in, but not quite. I think I have a solution for you. And it's just a change, possibly something to think about to your your second paragraph. He looked exactly like a teenage God. Okay. Well, that could still mean he's human. It could still mean he's wearing a costume mm-hmm. with big wings, you know, like, you know, like uh, you mentioned the, uh, <laughs> the secrets <laughs> with their their angel wings he could that be underwear yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 you mentioned that later and i think maybe you you could change it just a little bit and say he looked exactly as a teenage god should dangerous and perfect or and i like dangerous and perfect so i just keep using it he looked exactly like the teenage god he was dangerous and perfect, or maybe something like this. He was a teenage God, dangerous and perfect, complete with a bow and a quiver of magic arrows, something like that, that makes it clear, oh, he really is a teenage God. And now we're clearly into something with a paranormal flavor, a supernatural flavor. So just, you can do what you like, but I just feel like there might be a way to to clue the audience in just a little bit sooner that, oh, there's magic involved and, you know, that he has actual powers. So (laughs) then we go on down and the following section is actually for the whole chapter. So point of view, who's telling the story. And I think there is a little bit of telling and there is a little bit of shallow point of view. Most of the time you do avoid passive, kind of a, a passive tense to your story. So before we go on, let's read the next section. I'll read it for you if you want. Um, Okay. And we're going to go down to where it says stop. So squeezing my eyes shut, I stopped tying the ribbon. Wyatt Saras? Was that his name? Let's be honest, Vivian. You need all the help you can get. He wasn't going to ask you to prom anyway. 
Why does your help never feel all that helpful? I'll pick a perfect match for you. Not nearly as good looking as I am, but you can't have everything. My senior prom was still five weeks away. And the only way I could get an actual date and keep it was to not let Archie manipulate who I dated. He always claimed he was helping, but I knew better. He thought he was funny to interfere. And it was my love life where he was currently focused. Obviously, no one at East Athens High School knew that Archie was the source of my current dating failures. No one would believe me if I said a flying boy shot people with either his enchanted love-inducing golden arrows or his love-wrecking lead arrows to control my dating life. They just assumed Vivian Remus, Remus was unlucky at love. He didn't even attend my high school, yet he still messed up my chances at romance with his arrows. Please don't help me. I want to do this on my own. You're making a mistake. I spend a lot of time picking just the right match for you, but you never give any of them a chance. He plucked the bowstring of his bow, lying next to him on the table, an idle threat of what he could do. You spend no time at all picking. I think you just shoot randomly and pretend that whatever you hit was your intended target. My aim is excellent, and you know it. I could do it with my eyes closed. I'm sure that's how you do it, too, with your eyes closed. Besides, you wouldn't know real romance if it hit you on the head. Well done. They have a lot of, of um, they're obviously right in the middle of a fight. I love it. You start off with a fight. Great conflict. So I don't have to worry about you not having conflict in your story. Thank you so much. <laughs> I do appreciate that so, so much. So I'm going to zoom in on this sentence right here. And I'm sorry, I didn't exactly know where it was. So I groaned, wanting him to know I was annoyed. No, I said, my problem is, I don't need your kind of help. Where you said this, wanting him to know I was annoyed, that's definitely uh, telling. It's, it's also kind of shallow point of view. I think it may come a little bit late. Uh, what if we moved her line and his response immediately before the second paragraph? He says, your problem is you don't let people help you. And I groaned, no, my problem is I don't need your kind of help. Too late. I already gave it. He was a, you know, a teenage God and she's got fumbling fingers. And then she squeezes her eyes shut and stops tying the ribbon. Why did you shoot Wyatt Harris or Saris with a lead arrow? Instead of explaining down here where you're explaining about this, no one would believe me. So instead of explaining that, just include it. So we know that he shot someone with a lead arrow and he goes, oh, was that his name? Let's be honest, Vivian. And then he's promising down later. He says, I'm going to shoot somebody with a gold arrow or I've shot someone with a gold arrow. He, he kind of boasts about those things down below. So I think we might be able to get rid of this. And that is marked in what I did here. Okay. Yeah. So I think we could streamline this right here, just streamline it down into like maybe one sentence, maybe even just no one at East Athens would believe that Archie was a source of my recent dating failures and leave out the part about the flying boy. Um, I don't know. You might be able to keep that part and just reduce the explanation of what he does with his golden arrows and his lead arrows. We, we can kind of guess that since he shot Wyatt, with an arrow, a lead arrow, that that was what wreaked havoc on her her love life. Why does your help never feel all that helpful? 
And right here, you could say after he shot Wyatt, Wyatt didn't remember, didn't even say hello to me anymore in the hall or something like that. Just an internal reflection on what had happened after that had happened. Um, Because it took me a little bit to realize that he had shot Wyatt Harris. (laughs) Or Saris. I keep saying his name is, is Harris, and I don't know why. I'm sorry about that. So then the next thing is setting. And this is where we're world building. Really, honestly, there's nothing to say here. The choice of the opening setting is representative of the character. Perfect. Just perfect. She's working after school. She knows this guy because she works at Cupid's florist shop. He has a couple of cousins. They're all in the same family with the aunt. We've given a kind of, there's a front and a back part of the, the shop She can hear the stuff going on in the front part of the shop, but here she is kind of trapped with Archie and they're having this heated discussion. So the setting is very representative of what's going on. I'm wondering, are you planning on having this as a Valentine's release? I had not, but it could work. (laughs) Oh, I think you would be, you know, at least uh, aiming for the first of a year or you're leading into Valentine's. It's like a perfect Valentine's time of year story. All right. The next thing is the normal world. And the normal world is not the same as setting. It is a uh, way to connect the readers to the character, set up the character arc and plot context. You're just showing the main character's normal world, their ordinary world. It can be good, bad, indifferent, but it's where they are at before it's kind of a before snapshot. So before anything happens, she works in, you know, she's kind of unlucky at love. She's working in a florist shop. She's got this annoying coworker who is out to get her kind of, and, and he has his own secrets, but that's her normal world. And it actually, it's kind of his normal world too. He works in this florist shop. This is how he knows Vivian. His aunt is the shopkeeper but you don't really get an insight into maybe his goals and motivations. If I was going to say anything, it was that I don't understand him very much, but perhaps that can wait. Yeah. So that's about the normal world. And you do a good job of setting that up before your inciting event, which is kind of the argument at the end of the chapter where he finally, you know, he's had enough and, and she's had enough and they're kind of on the outs. So your genre has some expectations. Uh, the ones I could think of where you have a God and a girl star-crossed lovers, because it's against shop rules to be interested in each other. And I think it might be against some other code for him to be interested in her. Am I right? Yes. Okay. And clearly there's magic involved. So those are some things I could think of. Are there some other tropes and expectations that you were aiming at when you were writing this? Um, there's, uh, the enemies to lovers trope and the fake dating trope that are thrown in there. Okay, great. Great. So enemies to lovers, is that kind of where we're going? I like that. I think that will work very well. Ultimately, I think you've positioned the first chapter as a great lead into the genre, both romantically and this kind of paranormal twist. And I keep calling it paranormal. And most people think, oh, that's witches and wizards and so forth. But I think it's when you get supernatural powers involved that that's really where maybe it's fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where you get that involved, uh, kind of contemporary fantasy. All right. So the next thing is the stakes. For her, the stakes are emotional death. There's, there's like five different kinds. There's emotional, spiritual, with social. 
political. Obviously, that's not the problem, at least not for her, and physical. So I can see right away that you've established her problems are emotional death, possibly, and social death. If everybody starts thinking, there's got to be something wrong with her. (laughs) What is wrong with Vivian? (laughs) She might become kind of a social pariah. I don't know. I don't know what you have in store, but it seems like that's in play. Um, at least emotional death, where she feels like if I don't find true love, then all my dreams are shattered. So she's obviously, that's what she's keyed into. Less obvious is his, but I guess that's something we can't really establish right off the bat. So conflict in the first chapter, a shadow of things to come, helps identify the types of global conflict in the story. You hinted at that in the book cover where you say he's got secrets too. It sounds like it's going to get really serious. And so I like that. But that, of course, that's not in the first chapter. So what did I write? Whatever choice they make has associated risks and consequences. Obviously, whatever choices he makes are going to impact her. We're not so sure if what she does will impact him. Things are, they're, they're obviously in conflict right from the start because she believes things about love. He does not. So I have identified those. I, I wrote here on my little chart, kind of the types. And I see them falling into the character versus self. She wants true love, but she's beginning to believe it's out of her reach. Besides, she's crushing on a teenage God when she knows it's not okay. Character versus character, obviously they're at odds especially their goals, it seems like. And then possibly her versus his magic. And I think that that's, that seems pretty obvious that it's going to come up. So great shadow of things to come here. You set up your conflict really well. Mm-hmm. Archie's goals and motivations are not as clear, but um, he needs to, okay, I, I need to bring this up. The conflict is crystal clear for Vivian and the reader understands her goals and motivations and they're ready to pull for her. The one problem I'm having with Archie is I don't know what his goals and motivations are, except that he seems to be kind of a pain in the butt right now. He's annoying her and I'm not sure why. And he needs to have a redeeming quality other than, you know, being really hot. So the reader can root for him too. So I need something to hope for, for him. There's a couple of places in the manuscript where I think we might be able to make him just a little more lovable. When he does that really jerky thing at the end, when he says, you know, even if we were let, if we could date each other, you know, I'm the perfect guy, you know, I'm the perfect one. I wanted to smack him one. You'd think dating me was magical. He smirked. But even if that's not, that no dating rule didn't exist here at Cubids, I'd never stoop to dating you. Like I said, I wanted to smack him. And it's just like, ah. Oh. And then, but I thought your comeback was perfect. Never is a long time because you're calling back to something else that you wrote. Is there some way that we could have him do something that reveals that's not true? Is there some clue we could give the reader that he doesn't really mean that? I'd never stoop to dating you. That seems like, I don't know. I love the fact that she has that comeback in her head. Never is a long time. So maybe somewhere above that, we need to give some clue about how he really feels about her. Um, I was hesitant to put too much of that into early because his true motivations and true feelings don't start being evident until the probably more like the two thirds mark, like Mm -hmm. clear into things. And so in the beginning, it's a lot of petty vengefulness. Yes. 
And, you know, to keep that very much like there is no shot for them to be together in the beginning. So I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sure how to, okay. how to insert that without it taking away from. Got his, his growth. Yeah. Um, I see what you're saying. So maybe something else we could do is to show that he has a softer side, not necessarily for her, but for, you know, he likes his aunt or whatever. Uh, possibly that could be it where instead of just softening her up, he actually shows affection for her. Something to show that he does love someone in this world. Okay. So improving the interactions between him and his aunt at the end to show that he has a nice, charming side. Yeah. That he actually can be sweet and he does care about something. I have this problem. I have this problem with my very first book where I created this pretty, I don't know. She was pretty bitter, actually a little hard to take. had a little bit of a hard shell instead of giving her a cat or a kitten or a dog or something. I gave her a little sister. I mean, a really little sister, someone who, you know, had been born kind of late and they have the most special relationship. She just completely melts when her little sister jumps in her lap, totally an invention at that point. But somehow I had to soften to show that she had a side that was loving and able to be kind. And so something that makes him just gives us one little jot of hope that he has a softer side. Cause okay. right now he seems like he's up to mischief. He's funny. He's, you know, sarcastic. He's, he can be charming. You can see why she might like him, but he just needs that one hint that he has something soft about him. Okay. Just so the reader can start really rooting for him. We have plenty of conflict. We have plenty of choice. She makes the choice to insult him and not to apologize. So that's her choice. And then you've given us a very clear consequence in the first chapter, and he's going to make her pay for that. Well done. So now we have a cliffhanger. She's saying, I'm going to get a prom date without your help. And he says, you really think so? I'll make sure you never have a date again. He narrowed his eyes as he picked up the vase. Just wait, Vivian. I would make that the very end of your chapter because that is a great cliffhanger. This next thing where he saunters off is a stage direction. And the one thing I knew that if I wanted a date, I had to get it without Archie's magical fake help can go right up here. I don't want your arrows. I'm getting a prom date without your help. I clenched my fist, hands into fists. If only I could yell and scream that he was a terrible matchmaker. The one thing I knew was that if I wanted a date for prom, I had to get it without Archie's magical fake help. Something that's too long in here, but this thought could go somewhere else. You've also kind of made it clear that if I wanted a date for prom, I needed to get it myself. She wants to do it. I would say that this then is the end of your chapter right here. It's the perfect cliffhanger right, right. here. Your reader is going to flip that page. They want to know what in the world is he going to do? You know, what's going to happen to her? And then you cut and you're into another scene. Maybe it's school or I don't know what the second chapter is, but it's probably somewhere else, some other time, right? And yes. so you perfect cut scene. You know, you can almost hear the director yelling, cut, there's your cliffhanger. Oh, I, I do this all the time in my books too. I'll have written it months before and I come back and I go, well, there's the ending. I should have ended there. And then I'm going, well, what do I do with all this other stuff? And I go, well, either it can be deleted or if it's important information, I can put it somewhere else. I think that's probably what you need to do here. Okay. 
Do you have any, any questions for me so far? Um, no, I feel like you've hit on this stuff, you know, like the, the question is always how much to try to cram into the first chapter and how much to cram into that first page, you know, wanting to not answer every single question, but still cover all of the important things to, to keep people reading. And I think, I think you've hit the right note. I think you've hit the right amount of information. My thought about Archie was that we just need to give the reader just a just that much hope that he's going to be a nice, a nice person. But other than that, really, you, you didn't do an info dump. Their argument was right about the right length. Uh, you had just enough detail for where they were and kind of the background for what she's trying to do. There's only a couple of places where I would streamline a couple of things and that's it. You've got a very strong chapter, but I think you've hit the right note, like on your ending where it ends with a twist, the stakes go higher, you know, get raised, something unexpected happens. A new question is raised. Ah, you did all that. I, I just want to encourage you. I think you're, you're, you've got a very strong contender here. It just needs a few tweaks and then it's going to be, you know, irresistible actually. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so great. Well, thank you for agreeing to, to do this and uh, for uh, hanging out with me and sharing your story. Um, everybody look forward to Love Unlikely because it's going to be great. And let me uh, wrap up and then we will um, talk just a little bit more. Okay. okay. Don't go away. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and follow the podcast. If you're new around here, I hope you will join the Writing Pursuits author community for more content and to receive word marker tips for authors. That link and all the links mentioned in today's episode are in the show notes at writingpursuits.com. Please join us on Wednesdays for new episodes. And keep writing, my friends. Keep writing.